Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, welcome into this edition of Dog Walk Talk presented to you by Dogs HQ. I'm Palmer Toms here in sunny South Florida, ready for Orange Bowl action this week as number three Georgia takes on number two Michigan. I'm joined here today by Clayton Safey of the Wolverine, part of the On3 Sports Network, uh, who's going to help us preview the Wolverines. Jim Harbaugh's squad comes into this game at 12-1, and winners of the Big Ten, uh, and, and certainly a formidable opponent for Georgia. Clayton, how are you today? Doing well. Weather's nice down here. It's been a good week so far and kind of ramping up as we get closer to the game here in a couple of days. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've, we've heard from both of the coaches as they arrive. We've heard from offensive and defensive coordinators from both teams. Georgia fans heard from Kirby Smart today, and we'll hear from both head coaches tomorrow when you all are hearing this podcast on Thursday. Um, so far, what has stood out to you about this week? I think I start with the, the health of both teams. Uh, JT Daniels comes in late, you know, not with the team, but makes the trip, which is obviously big for Georgia. And it sounds like they'd be comfortable putting him in if they had to, but Stetson Bennett obviously renamed the starter over and over. Listen to that offensive coordinator press conference you know, with Munkin uh, the other day. I think five out of, what, nine questions were about the quarterback? So I Something thought, like that. I thought that was pretty interesting. Obviously, Stetson Bennett's done a good job this year, but – Fans have kind of desired a little bit more, it seems like, on, on that side of things. From the Michigan side, uh, in terms of health, they've been, you know, as far as we know, just one guy, Dax Hill, uh, the junior safety, did not make the trip with the team, but has a good chance of making it here before game day. Practice in the lead up there when they were back in Ann Arbor. So uh, that's really the only guy for Michigan. And you see bowl games getting kind of canceled or whatever throughout the country, but the college football playoff seems to be a little bit different. Uh, where these guys, uh, they got in earlier, I think, than most teams got into their bowl sites. And you've kind of seen teams, like like neither team's going to forfeit this game. Yeah. Uh, it's not at that point. So I think relatively healthy on both sides of things. Pickens is getting healthier and healthier on the Georgia side. So And Blake Corum at running back is going to be uh, 100% here for the game. So it's going to be kind of both teams with, with all their guys going after it. But, man, tons of other storylines as well. I mean, when you look at uh, – the, you know, Josh Gaddis, Michigan's offensive coordinator, talking about how it's going to be a train wreck inside between the Michigan rushing offense and that Georgia front seven that we hear so much about. I'm excited to see that matchup play out. Michigan, uh, the way their players have been talking, they've been pretty confident uh, in that aspect. And Georgia's defense, rightfully so confident as well. But it's going to be the Joe Moore award winner, the Michigan offensive line that won the award for the best offensive line in the country, going up against one of the best defensive fronts we've seen in a long time in college football. Uh, so I'm excited to see that matchup as a guy who who is a fan of the trenches. Yeah, this game certainly feels like it's going to be one that's won and lost in the trenches. Yes. Um, you know, which is something I think that both teams want to do. I think that when you look at Georgia coming into this game off of the SEC championship loss, maybe not their style of game. Um, you know, they weren't able to dictate how that game was played as much. You know, obviously it was tied 17-17. 
But then by the time that Georgia's offense got the ball back in the second half, it was 31-17 as Alabama got a quick score at the end of the half and, and got the received the opening kickoff of the second half, scored again. And, and that's not necessarily how Georgia wants to play things. They don't want to have to play from behind. They don't want to have to air the ball out. Like you said, there's a lot of co- conversation about the starting quarterback job, Stetson Bennett, JT Daniels. Uh, like you said, Daniels makes the trip late for the Bulldogs. George Pickens also makes the trip late. Both of them tested positive for COVID last week uh, ahead of Christmas. And, and, you know, now with the new CDC and SEC guidelines, they're able to make the trip after five days of quarantine as opposed to 10. Um, you know, certainly I think that's something that we're all excited to see is, is these two teams should be near, if not at full strength for this game. I think that ahead of, you know, like you said, a lot of these college football games, um, bowl games are getting canceled because of COVID. And that's not what you want to see with the playoffs. You want to see a national champion decided on the field, a, a spot in the national championship game decided on the field, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to by forfeit um, and, and based on health protocol. Um, so I think in terms of the Georgia side of things, for me, what has stood out um, the most has been that quarterback conversation. It, it's been very um, – Straightforward. Stetson Bennett is Georgia's starting quarterback. Kirby Smart said that today on Wednesday. Uh, like you said, Todd Munkin was very affirmative in in his actions, and uh, you know had a lot to say about his uh, his quarterback. Um, as we've got, I think yeah, I think a coconut made just fell, so uh, shows you yeah. it's Miami for you. There you go. Um, but yeah, I, I think that Stetson Bennett, um, you know, surely has a lot of there's a lot of questions around him coming into this game after a poor performance against Alabama through two interceptions, was sacked three times. Not all of that is on him. Like I said, that's not how Georgia wants to play these games. The two games that he's thrown the most passes in over the course of his career, Georgia has lost both of them to Alabama in 2020 and 2021. So I don't think that that's how Georgia wants to win football games. Um, but I think that this game suits their style a little bit more, um, given the fact that Michigan is a physical football team isn't going to, you know, what they can, but I don't know that that's what they want to do, air it out and, and make it, you know, a, a, a quick tempo spread out game um, as opposed to Alabama. That's exactly what they want to do. So I think that that, um, you know, favors this game to be a very close contest. I think you're right. And I think it, you know, we both predicted um, close games, you know, in, in either side of the things. Um, and I think it's going to come down to that. It could be one or two plays in the fourth quarter. It could be a drive at the end. Uh, and I think that's what makes this matchup so interesting because it'll probably be more running, low scoring. Uh, at the same time, you know, I think both offenses can score. I mean, Georgia scored a lot. I know they benefit a lot from being put in good situations by that defense throughout the entire season. But in Michigan, the same thing. But, you know, Michigan's had a really good offense as well. They have been able to air it out, as you mentioned. Uh, you know, every time they play, uh, you know, a tough defense where people say, oh, they're going to have to throw to win this game. And you look at Wisconsin, with, you know, what they did to Iowa, then you see them uh, air it out and have some success you know, throughout the season like that. Nebraska is another uh, example of that. So Michigan's been able to do that as well. Kate McNamara, I think it's a lot better than some people give him credit for, especially nationally. Um, they've been able to, uh, you know, kind of win games different ways this year, which is important. And that's how you win a Big Ten, right? That's how you get to the college football playoff is you have to kind of evolve throughout the season. You have to be able to adapt to your opponent. Michigan's done a really good job at that. Um, at the same time, you mentioned Georgia getting down. I mean, Michigan has hardly trailed this season. It took them, I think, six games 
to even uh, trail in, in any game at all. So they've, they've gotten off to quick starts, which is a huge emphasis for this program coming into this season after you know falling behind in quite a few games last year and going two and four. Uh, so it's amazing that they're even here. But yeah, Michigan's done a good job of getting ahead against the teams like a Georgia. And I know they haven't played anyone this good, but uh, that they, you need to get ahead against Wisconsin, you know, Ohio State. If you get down to Ohio State, you know, it's going to be really tough to beat them. Same with Iowa as well. They got off to a quick 14-0 lead in the Big Ten championship game. So I think that's fascinating. The first quarter is going to decide kind of maybe how the game's going to go. And then it could be close at the end. And then the fourth quarter, some plays at the end and decide how it ends up. So I think that's going to be a fascinating thing to watch. Yeah, I think, I think like you said, if, if we're in a close game here, you know, we're seeing a close game between, you know, that first quarter, second quarter, as we head into halftime. I think that that's kind of – if it's a close game, it's probably going to be a ground-and-pound physical football game all the way through versus if one of these teams jumps ahead, you're going to have to see the other team react and try and play from behind and, and you know, make up ground um, that they may or may not be comfortable doing so. Let's dive into Michigan a little bit. You bring up the quarterbacks there, um, Caden McNamara. Running backs obviously are, are a big storyline for them and, and the Joe Moore winning um, offensive line. Tell me a little bit about the Michigan offense. And, and you know, you, you gave us a great preview in the Q&A piece this week. If you haven't checked that out, I strongly encourage you to do so. Um, but tell us a little bit about the threats that Michigan has and how the Wolverines want to play football on offense with, with their, you know, uh, Royals award-winning offensive coordinator, Josh Gaddis. Yeah, he's done a great job this year. A lot of people are questioning him after last season and comes back and, wins the Burroughs Award. Uh, the whole offensive staff has done a, an outstanding job. I think when you talk about this offense, you have to start with the running back spot. Hassan Haskins, uh, you know, over 1,200 yards, nearing 1,300 yards. He's that bruiser type of back, big, physical, wants to run over you as opposed to around you, but will also hurdle you. I don't know if you've seen some of those clips throughout the season, huge ones and big moments where he doesn't just hurdle you and, and get that extra two, three yards. He can actually land on his feet. It's the most amazing thing and, uh, you know, go for 20 extra yards or whatever it is. So he's that type of back. And then they're bringing in Blake Corum, who dealt with a high ankle sprain late in the season, returned around 75 80% against Ohio State in Iowa, the Big Ten title game. He's 100% now, as I mentioned earlier. And, you know, he's that more dynamic, speedy back. He'll still run between the tackles, but likes to bounce it out. He's made a ton of big plays this season for Michigan, has 11 touchdowns on his own. Hassan Haskins, 20 touchdowns for him, including five against the Buckeyes. So, those two kind of get things going. They want to establish the run. Even when they're not having a ton of success on the ground, when it's three, four yards, they're going to do that anyway, get themselves in manageable situations. Uh, so that's a key for me when you go against Georgia, right? I mean, first down, you're going to be able to get a few yards, stay in front of the sticks, and then run your entire playbook on second and third down, have everything at, at your disposal. Cade McNamara, as I kind of mentioned, you know, I think he's been kind of undervalued this season. He's a game manager type of quarterback. He reminds me of like a Ryan Tannehill as opposed to some, you know, dynamic quarterback out there like, a you know, Patrick Mahomes. But that's what Michigan's needed this year. I mean, he doesn't turn the ball over, has four interceptions on the season, uh, you know, is very accurate with it. I mean, you'll see him slide protections, change the call at the line of scrimmage. Extremely cerebral, smart player, uh, and he's done a really good job. They will mix in J.J. McCarthy, the true freshman, super highly touted guy. Uh, they like to run the ball with him in the read option game to kind of open up some more running lanes with him uh and, and they've really kind of refined that package throughout the season beginning of the year it was a little you know they kind of just throw it in there but now uh, they really have a good you know sense for when to bring him in 
offensive line has been, you know, playing really physical, smash mouth football. Uh, it protects the quarterback really well. They got 27 tackles for loss allowed on the season, which is 14 less than any other team in the country. So no negative rushes really. Uh, so if they stay, you know, with their characteristics, I think they're going to have a good shot in this game on the offensive end. Plethora of weapons on the outside. No one total dynamic guy, but everyone kind of has a role. Uh, and Eric All at the tight end spot has really emerged in the second half of the year. Uh, so that's kind of, you know, some of the personnel to watch for. There's a lot of different guys that have stepped up. Ronnie Bell, who was, uh, you know, star wide receiver, tore his ACL in game one of the year. Uh, and that really hurt this team in terms of playmakers and, and having some continuity at wide out. But other guys have stepped up throughout the year. They've really upped their game here. So they're hoping they can keep that momentum going into this, into this Orange Bowl. Yeah, you're talking to a Titans fan. So the Ryan Tannehill okay. comparison okay. comes with some high praise there. Um, you know, I, I think – you bring up a really interesting point about the, you know, not allowing tackles for loss. It's been something that Georgia has really prided itself on over the last couple of seasons. They've, they've talked about havoc rate and, and getting after the quarterback and, and making big plays in the backfield. Um, guys like Jalen Carter have really thrived in doing that. Um, Nicobe Dean and Channing Tindall from the yes. linebacker spot. Um, you know, you don't necessarily see Jordan Davis do that, but what he does in the middle, he creates some of that. And, in, in, you know, it's, his favorite saying is, two on me means someone's free. Uh, you know, he's able, with his big body in the middle there, he's able to eat up some blocks uh, and open things up for some of those guys at the second level uh, and, and, and the stunting defensive linemen. Um, that's going to be a really big matchup for me to watch there is that front seven of Georgia versus that offensive line and that run game of Michigan. Um, yes. those tight ends as well. Um, and really, I think you could say that on both sides of the ball. When Georgia has the ball too, I think that that's going to be the matchup to watch. Um, like we said, this is a game that I think will be won and lost in the trenches. Um, and, and that is certainly the case when you're talking about Michigan's offense versus this, this Georgia defense. Um, you know, very much strength on strength. Um, you know, two units that really pride themselves on their ability to run the ball and their ability to stop the run. Um, so that's where I, I think that, that this game is going to be won and lost, and that's where most of my attention is going to be. Um, but one thing I'm curious about from you, Clayton, is how much do you think, you know, having watched that Alabama-Georgia SEC championship game yep. and seeing where this Georgia defense was susceptible a little bit, um, you know, they, don't, they, don't, they didn't get any sacks in that game. That was uncharacteristic. Um, and I think that that put a lot of pressure on the secondary but if with an offensive line that's allowing the least amount of sacks in the country, there's a chance that that could happen again here. How do you think Michigan is going to try and exploit uh, some of Georgia's maybe weaknesses in the secondary? Well, it's interesting. And it, it kind of quick follow-up question to you, I guess, is, you know, I saw some, you know, clips. Like I watched that entire game, Alabama-Georgia, but then I saw some clips that kind of went around Twitter about, you know, Georgia's D-line just being gassed against that Alabama offense. You know, how much have they struggled, I guess, against tempo? Michigan doesn't run a ton of it, but they've kind of, you know, picked their spots in that aspect. Too. Yeah, I think if you look at the – I think the two games that Georgia had the most difficulty, biggest challenge on defense would be obviously that Alabama game. But I would throw in the Tennessee game as well because I think that that's a team that obviously they go the extreme of tempo. Right. Um, with, with Josh Heupel there in his first season – just going play after play after play, almost, yeah. you know, one every eight seconds or something like that. They led the country in terms of, you know, plays, time in between plays. Um, but I think that, that that is certainly something. And I talked about it with our Alabama guys um, before that game, that 
the best way to limit Georgia's defensive line is to go tempo, is to spread some things out. Um, you know, one of the biggest things that Georgia has is depth on defense. Um, you know, we're talking about a guy like Channing Tindall, who's not even a starting linebacker for them, but he's third on the team in tackles, I believe, um, behind Nicobe Dean, the Butkus Award winner, and Lewis Cien, Georgia's, you know, star safety in the secondary there. Um, mm-hmm. Two leaders of that defense, but Channing Tindall is, is a guy that hasn't started these games, but we're talking about him as an impact player in, in this game um, because of the way that Georgia is able to rotate guys. Same with Jalen Carter, somebody that hasn't started games on the defensive line uh, for the Bulldogs this season, but is somebody that can make big impact plays, tackles for loss, uh, you know, can get after the quarterback. I think if you go tempo, you limit Georgia's ability to substitute. As long as Michigan is not substituting and, and you are just keeping the same guys on the field. And, and it takes a, it takes a you know, mindset. It takes an attitude to be able to do that. Um, but with a little bit of extra time between the conference championships and this game, there's a good chance that I think Michigan probably put in more of an emphasis on some of that. You know, did a little bit of extra conditioning to work that aspect to it. Um, I, I definitely think that that is something – you know, if there's a weakness of this Georgia defense, um, personnel-wise, it would be in the secondary. But schematic-wise, it would be, you know, trying to defend against a tempo offense because some of these guys uh, do, you know, rely on their ability. They rely on that depth. They rely on that ability to rotate guys, keep fresh legs in there. Um, you know, you've got some big guys. And Jordan Davis is one of them, like we mentioned. Yeah. He, he's big. He's, he's big. big. He's big. And he can get – he can get gassed, and, um, you know, I, I'd get gassed at that size too, but I think that, you know, when you're trying to make a big third, third down stop, get off the field, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. Ideally, Georgia doesn't want to have Jordan Davis in there on a third down in a passing situation. They would prefer to be able to substitute in a Jalen Carter, a Trayvon Walker, you know, I maybe even go down to two defensive linemen and bring in an extra edge rusher, um, you know, somebody like a Robert Beal, who's an outside linebacker, edge-type player there. Um, obviously, Nolan Smith is somebody that plays that position very well for the Bulldogs. Um, but I think that you would rather have more of those guys and more defensive backs on the field than more defensive linemen. And so Michigan's ability to go tempo means that Georgia has to play in some uncomfortable packages, some uncomfortable situations with those guys being out there in situations that they would prefer to be have them on the sidelines. So I think that's interesting. You know, Michigan hasn't done a ton of it, as I said, but they've picked their spots there. And, you know, they like to sub a lot themselves, which is going to give Georgia an opportunity to sub. Uh, so it'll be something to watch for sure. Um, you know, they like to bring in a bunch of tight ends on third and short or whatever. And then, then they're back out of that on first down. You know, they'll spread you out. It could be five wide. It well, and be, I guarantee yeah. every time Michigan is subbing, Georgia will be doing the same. Exactly. And Michigan does similar. They like to rotate a lot. And they've got caught in situations like that uh, against tempo this season as well. Michigan State being one of those. The, the only loss for Michigan uh, were two of the touchdowns. They, they weren't set on defense because they were subbing in late. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe a different problem there against tempo, but still a problem. So I think that'll be something to watch. Uh, but when you look at, you know, what this Michigan's offensive line is going to be able to do, you know, Andrew Stuber, they're, you know, he's going to be a draft pick this year, right tackle, um, was talking this morning uh, on Wednesday morning, just saying that they feel like this game is kind of on the shoulders of the offensive line. When you talk about Georgia's defensive front, I think he's right. If they can protect Caden McNamara and give him time to throw down field, uh, then that's going to be, you know, a, a real formula for success for Michigan. I think he has a capability to do that against this secondary. 
that we saw be a little bit susceptible against the pass against Alabama, or really a lot susceptible. Alabama's got a great, great offense, much better than Michigan, I think, in terms of downfield attack, but Michigan can still do some things. And then back to the, you know, kind of tempo type of, you know, the way Michigan's going to kind of play this game offensively. Second half of this season, they've really, really done a good job of, you know, they're still going to pound you between the tackles, but they're going to hit you with an end around when you don't expect it. They're going to hit you with a quick swing pass and make you move on the outside. Georgia's fast, but, you know, maybe they can tire them, you know, wear them out a little bit, I think, uh, which will be part of their strategy. And you kind of never know what's coming. As I mentioned, some weapons stepping up. A.J. Henning is a guy who's going to get at least one end around touch in this game. He does just about every game. Donovan Edwards, freshman running back, who's finally healthy. Who Georgia uh, recruited. Who Georgia very, recruited as well. His hat was on, on the table. Yep, yeah. Very much in that recruitment, I remember. Yes. He's become a dynamic weapon in the past game, actually, out of the backfield and playing a little bit in the slot as well. So he's another guy to watch that I think that would be, you know, one of those guys that could be a backbreaker for Georgia if they're able to kind of scheme him open like they've been doing the last few games. So, uh, you know, I think Alabama put a blueprint out there. Uh, Josh Gaddis, Michigan's offense coordinator, said, you know, I don't know if it's a blueprint because it happened just one time. And it, you know, might have just been that matchup for Alabama, and you got to give them a lot of credit. But at the same time, some things worked. You know, following up on that, Georgia knows what worked as well. They had a month to prepare, so it's going to be a chess match in that aspect too. And I'm excited to see how that plays out because there's some weaknesses now for Georgia for the first time this season. Um, are they real? You know, things that are going to cost them a, a national championship. I think that's up to Michigan to find out and see if they can exploit it. Yeah, yeah. Let's flip things over to the other side of the ball when Georgia has it and Michigan is on defense. Obviously, Michigan's defensive game plan, the focus, the conversation around Michigan's defense starts with Aiden Hutchinson. And and David uh, – is it – Ojabo. Ojabo. Yep. David Ojabo as well. Um, but Hutchinson, the Heisman Trophy finalist there, um, you know, maybe snubbed from some of these other defensive – awards um you know at least being a finalist there uh where you saw will anderson win one of them you saw jordan davis win another yeah. one of them um but hutchinson the only defensive player to be a finalist for the heisman trophy this year um in a year that has largely been dominated by defensive stars um you know you end up seeing some quarterbacks that you know may or may not have deserved yeah. to be there they got the video games stats. yeah the the video game stats you, you know maybe the quarterbacks didn't deserve to be there and maybe you deserve to see you know, we ought to have seen another defensive player or two there in, in New York. Um, but let's let's talk about that Michigan defense and Aiden Hutchinson and what he can do as a pass rusher to affect this game. We heard from Jamari Salyer, Georgia left tackle today, um, and he's very much looking forward to this matchup. It's an it's it's an exciting one because I think that it's one that you know if when you come to a school like Georgia, when you come to a school like Michigan. You want to, you're doing that because you want to play on these big stages. And you know that when you're playing on these big stages, you're going to be in matchups against other players that are, you know, worthy of being on that stage. This is certainly a matchup that's worth watching on this big stage. Yeah, it is going to be. I think Aiden Hutchinson will move around quite a bit. They move him from side to side and, you know, sometimes, you know, a little wider than other times. But he's going to be matched up with Salier, who's a great player, by the way. And, you know, I've had fun watching a little bit of film on him in lead up to this game and digging into some of his advanced stats, uh, outstanding pass blocker. So it'll be a great matchup. And I mean, you say like, what, what, is, you know, what does Aiden Hutchinson do that is so good as a pass rusher? It's like, what, what doesn't he do? He basically has every move in his arsenal. I mean, you know, teams have tried to double team him. He can split right through. He can go, you know, wide around it. Or, you know, if he gets too far upfield for like, what it would be too far upfield for another guy, 
he just has the strength and the you know the awareness to get back in the play and, and make a sack. We saw him do that against uh, C.J. Stroud in Ohio State uh, on two of his sacks and had three in that game. Fifteen pressures against Ohio State that has two NFL tackles that'll be drafted next spring. Fifteen pressures, which is the most pressures in a game since PFF started tracking that stat in 2014. So Incredible. it shows you how he can kind of take over a game. And I think that's what got him invited to New York, by the way, was the performance in the biggest game of the college football season to that point. Um, you know, so he did outstanding all season, kind of culminated in the biggest game for Michigan. Uh, you know, he's got the power move. He's got the, uh, the speed stuff off the edge as well. Great against the run. David Ojabo on the other side has benefited from him. So Aiden Hutchinson's got 14 sacks, program record. For Michigan in a single season. Ojabo's got 11 first duo in Michigan history to, to combine for 25 sacks in a single season. He's more of a speed guy. They'll take him out on some rundowns, uh, but he's a guy that has five force fumbles, another program record in a season. Extremely long arms, causes havoc. You talk about havoc plays. David Ojabo is one of those types of guys for Michigan. So when you talk about the defense, it, it kind of starts on the edges there with the pass rush and what they're able to do where man, you can have an NFL tackle. And I'm not saying they're going to get home on Georgia all the time, but I think they're going to get home on, on Stetson Bennett more than the 25% pressure rate he's facing right now, which is incredible, by the way. Like, huge testament to the Georgia offensive line. But I think Michigan, if they can get there 35% of the time, that might be a margin that will help them out because of Stetson Bennett, when you look at his numbers under pressure, like five yards per attempt, 30% completion percentage, uh, you know, much lower than like Kate McNamara using him as just a comparison when I was you know, digging into some stats. So I think he struggles under pressure. You would obviously know better than me, but from what I've seen, it appears that way. Uh, so I think that's kind of where it starts for Michigan's defense is can they get home? Uh, but at the same time, you got to stop the run to make Georgia pass as well. So it's going to be kind of that type of thing. Can they let Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo pin their ears back? Yeah, like you said, you know, Georgia has done a pretty good job of keeping Stetson Bennett on his feet this season. Um, allowed, you know, one of, you know, wasn't up to Michigan standard, but was up there for, you know, a large majority of the season in terms yeah. of sacks allowed. Um, the last performance didn't help them there. They allowed three sacks against Alabama um, and, and Bennett threw two interceptions. So, that, you know, that probably, that number probably could have been a little bit more, um, you know, he, he's trying to get the ball away rather than get taken down. Um, and, and sometimes you have to take a sack. We all know that sometimes it's the smart decision to do that rather than throw it into a contested coverage and such. Um, but yeah, I, I completely agree with you that Stetson Bennett is at his best when, when he's got a clean pocket, when he's able to, you know, roll out and, and feel comfortable doing that. Um, you know, when he's able to, you know, make plays with his legs. Um, you know, that was something we didn't see a ton against Alabama. They didn't roll him out a ton and they didn't, he didn't take off with his legs, um, you know, to, to make some of those plays. Um, I think that's one thing that he's done really well this year as compared to last year. Um, he knows when to take off. And, and to me, I think that that has kept him from throwing some balls into, you know, very contested coverage um, that he might've thrown last year as, as a first year starter, um, you know, and, and that's, that's what you want to see with a guy in his second year um, starting. Obviously, not necessarily who Georgia fans want to be starting. Um, Is that basically a consensus? They'd rather have JT James? You know, I, I think it's probably pretty split. Um, okay. It might be more JT um, in terms of – and it's funny, you know, the, the storylines 
um, this week have been largely focused around George Pickens and JT Daniels and their arrival. Well, you're talking about a backup quarterback and a receiver who has less than 50 receiving yards in the season. Um, right. Obviously a stud. Obviously a stud. Obviously somebody that is capable of making big plays. Um, you know, only played in two games so far this season. Right. Um, one of those, he had a 37-yard catch against Alabama. Um, you know, it, in really his first extended action, he played against Georgia Tech, caught one pass for five yards there. Um, but, you know, was, was in there more so to get him comfortable, um, you know, to understand – hey, this guy is back. He can play football, you know, eight months post-ACL injury, um, and which is incredible in its own right. Yes. Um, but I think going back to the quarterback conversation, it is and, – and we've heard a lot about it this week. We've written a lot about it this week. Um, and, and you will continue to hear a lot about it. Um, it's, it's been what has dominated the conversations in Athens all season long. Um, you know, JT Daniels starts the season, starts the first game, has a quad injury, um, excuse me, an oblique injury that keeps him out of that uh, second game against UAB. Uh, Stetson Bennett starts that, throws for a school record five touchdown passes all in the first half. Uh, you know, then JT comes back, starts against South Carolina, throws for 300 yards, uh, three touchdowns, one, one of several games that he's done that in his career, uh, and, and kind of says, hey, you know, thank you, Stetson, for doing what you did. You know, I, I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm Good to see you back out there, but this is my job. Well, then come back, you know, another two weeks later when Georgia's taking on Arkansas, number eight team in the country at that time, uh, it's a lat injury that keeps Daniels out. And it kept him out all of October um, before he was really healthy for that last game. I guess it was October 31st um, in, in Jacksonville against Florida. Um, but I think that, you know, it's a situation that has been closely monitored. Um, mm -hmm by every fan, every media <laughs> member. Uh, Kirby Smart has heard about it all season. Todd Munkin has heard about it all season. And we haven't had an opportunity to talk to him since before the year. So yesterday was a, you know, that was a big talking point. Like you said, it was like over half. Okay. So you guys didn't talk to Munkin. No, we, we oh, talked wow. to the coordinators <laughs> at the beginning of the season and then at the bowl games. Oh, wow. So that was, that was part of the reasoning behind a large portion of the questioning going there. Um, but I think that, that it was, you know, he was very honest about this quarterback conversation. And, and the answer that we got out of Kirby Smart today was probably the most honest answer that we've gotten out of him all season. Um, you know, to both these – they feel confident in both these guys, and rightfully so. JT Daniels has started games. I mean, he's 7-0 and in his career. Uh, Stetson Bennett has started big games, led them to the first 12-0 and regular season since ever, uh, first undefeated regular season since 1982. Um, obviously, they played less games than, than 12. Um, but I think that you're looking at a situation now where Stetson is very definitively your starter. It's going to take a injury, which, you know, nobody wants to see happen. Well, maybe some crazy Georgia fans that want JT in there. Or a very poor performance, which no Georgia fan wants to see. Mm -hmm. uh, unless, and, and if that's the case, you're not really a Georgia fan. <laughs> um, you know, for, for JT to get in there, I think he's healthy, um, you know, he, but he has missed some time with, you know, being out with COVID. And so I think that that makes things very difficult to put him in there as the starting quarterback for the Bulldogs. Um, in terms of Georgia, like you said, Georgia is going to have a hard time running the ball against this Michigan front. Um, it, it's a front that, that is very stout, you know, in, in their ways, good at stopping the run. Um, Georgia has been – 
they haven't been as dominant as a run game as they have been in the past. Maybe when you had, you know, like a DeAndre Swift or, or my guy with the Lions yeah. or Georgia's last appearance in the uh, college football playoff with Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle, when that was very much your focus, Georgia this year has done more of kind of taking what the offense has given to, or excuse me, what the defense has given to them offensively, um, you know, against Arkansas sets and minute throws for 72 yards, but they rush for like 282, I think. Um, you know, they, 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 that was the way Arkansas wanted to play them. They wanted to drop back. Georgia said, fine, we'll run the ball. Well, then, you know, a couple of weeks before that, UAB had come out and said, we're going to stop the run because that's what, you know, that's the way Georgia won the game against Clemson. They were able to run the ball. Uh, and UAB said, we're going to, you know, load the box. They said, Georgia said, fine, we'll throw it. And like I said, Stetson Bennett threw a, for a school record five touchdown passes in a game all in that first half. So, Sounds really similar to Michigan. Yeah. So it's 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 and, – and that's what makes this game so great is that both offensively and defensively, it's teams that are very much alike, teams that want to, you know, kind of take what's given to them. And it's going to be really interesting to see what is given to them because of how similar they are and how much they probably know each other after, A, three, three weeks of film study, and, B, essentially a full season of practicing against a, a, an offense or a defense that's very similar to them. Mm-hmm. I'll say this too about you know Michigan stopping the run. They've done a really good job at that this season. But there have been times where teams have gotten, I think, a little bit too much yardage. Even Iowa. I mean, they lost forty-two to three, but uh, there was a second quarter there where they were kind of getting five, six a pop, and they were kind of able. Now they can't throw the ball, so you know that's Iowa's so hindered. But you know Georgia's been able to take what's there. So if Michigan has to load up to stop that run, then I think there's going to be some opportunities downfield against a secondary that's good. I, I wouldn't call it great, but much improved. Uh, DJ Turner, a Georgia guy who's doing a really good job for Michigan at the corner spot, really emerged as one of the best players on defense after not starting first half of the season. Took an injury to Jamon Green to get him in the starting lineup, and now he's he's really taking that role and ran with it. Uh, Dax Hill, who hasn't practiced the last week, it seems like, with Michigan down here in Miami, uh, could potentially be there, but, you know, how, how much wind does he have, you know, Oh, uh, you know. So what would the replacements look like for Dax Hill if, if that's the case? It, it's that he tough. does miss the game. It's tough to say because he's played about every snap on defense that's been, you know, had any sort of meaning to it. Uh, I think that you would see a little bit different of a defense, to be honest. Uh, you know, I think, you know, so he plays the nickel role, kind of a, a, you know, they'll use him as a blitzer. They will, you know, kind of bring him up to the line of scrimmage. They'll back him off. Which Georgia calls the star. Yep, and I think Michigan internally calls it that as well. So, I mean, he he's kind of that type of role where he's such a dynamic athlete that they kind of run some different things for him. But I think you would see Rod Moore, who's a true freshman who stepped up in the second half of the year at safety, started the year at nickel, but moved, dropped back. And he's really a natural free safety, it seems like. But I think out of lack of depth at the safety spot, you would, you would have to move him up to, you know, the star position. So uh, they're thin there, but I think they would do some, they would just do some different things, I think. And probably a benefit that you know they've had it seems like a few practices at least without him since they've gotten down to south florida to kind of work out what they're going to do in the case of him not making the trip or not playing or not playing a full role so uh that would be very interesting but yeah i think if michigan can stop the run that's when they're at their best because you get in a third and seven against aiden hutchinson and you know even if he doesn't get all the way there he usually gets uh you know i guess statistically doesn't not over 50 percent pressure rate but which would be ridiculous but (laughs) He's, you, he's at least a guy you have to think about, right? It could be coming from either side. Same with David Ajabo. Um, but, yeah, if Michigan can stop the run, 
uh, at least to a, a pretty good degree. I think this is going to be a low-scoring game, as we kind of talked about at the beginning, and it's going to come down to can Stetson Bennett win the game on a final drive or can Cade McNamara win the game on a final drive or if can one team rip off a run, you know, a final. We've seen Michigan do that as well late in games when you're kind of passing, but you mix in a, a quick run and they can pop one. So, uh, I, you know, I think that's going to be interesting. If Michigan can keep Georgia to 17, 20, 24 points, uh, I think then we're in for a, a hell of a game at the end. Yeah, and, and that's kind of the same recipe that I think for Georgia, if they can hold Michigan to a 17, 24-point game, uh, you know, somewhere in that range, you know, maybe even lower with this Georgia defense that's been so stout all year long, leads the country in terms of scoring defense. If they can keep Michigan off the board, obviously, you know, this sounds dumb to say, but if you if you can keep your opponent off the board, you're giving yourselves a good chance to win the game. I think that's certainly the case with an offense that well, I wouldn't say has struggled, but has its questions, its concerns there. Um, and so, you know, Georgia doesn't want to get into a shootout. And I don't think that Michigan likely does either. Yeah, I, I think that's interesting. This Michigan offense has been very good this year and could, you know, potentially win a game in the Florida. I mean, you know, we've seen them put up, you know, quite a few points in a lot of big games, 42 in their last two games. So I think they'd be okay. With, I, I think just the problem there is Georgia's defense is so good that you just don't feel like it's going to come to that. Now, if they hit on some big plays, which I wrote this week was one of the big keys for Michigan, they lead the country in plays of over 50 yards. They're you know top 10 in plays of 20 or more, 30 or more, 40 or more, all that, even 60, 70, they, they lead the country, um, which you wouldn't really think. Uh, it's an interesting Michigan. dynamic of, yeah. of power and explosiveness. Exactly. Um, and it's been something that a lot of people, I think, especially nationally, haven't really realized throughout the season how many big plays Michigan's hitting on. So, you know, I don't think Michigan's going to, you know, get five, six a pop against this Georgia defense when you look at running the ball. But I think a guy like Blake Corum can change the game with a, you know, if he rips off a 50-yard run. We've seen him, you know, run for 55-yard, you know, break one of those off against Ohio State to set up a touchdown, 67-yard touchdown to get the scoring going against Iowa in the Big Ten title. So big plays are going to be big for Michigan, I think, to kind of open this up to get them even maybe to 20 points or 21 points, 28, something like that. I don't think it's going to come the normal way where you just you know, get, you know, matriculate your way down the field, as they say. Uh, I think it's going to have to be, you know, you might go three and out. You might move, you know, get a couple first downs and have to punt throughout the game. But if you stick with it, if you get a couple big plays, it's kind of how Michigan beat Penn State, where they weren't moving the ball consistently, but they got some big plays, including, uh, you know, a big touchdown at the end to win that game. So I think that's kind of the formula if you're Michigan and you expect it to be that type of game. And I think that's both teams kind of want that, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, to kind of keep it low and trust that your defense is probably going to win you the game. And if not, your quarterback is going to make a play or, you know, somebody, you know, one of your athletes is going to make a play for you. All right. So wrapping things up here, we know you gave us your prediction earlier this week. We know you've got Michigan winning it. Explain your thinking behind that a little bit. Yeah. I think it comes down to kind of what I was just talking about. I don't think Michigan's going to, you know, get across the 50 yard line on every drive, but I think they're going to be able to put, three, four drives together that result in touchdowns. They've been really good in the red zone over the last four or five games after struggling, finishing drives earlier on in the season. They've really had some guys, as I mentioned earlier, step up as red zone threats, including the tight ends. They just have so many different options right now uh, offensively. So I think they're going to finish a few of those drives, get to 24 points. We both have 24-17, I believe, right? Yes. But in different, you know, I have Michigan winning and you have Georgia winning. Uh, so I think it's going to be that formula. And I mean – 
this isn't any disrespect to Georgia's offense, but there's just not a ton that scares me outside of, um, you know, Brock Bowers, who I think does scare me if you're Michigan. They've had a little bit of trouble guarding opposing tight ends this season. So that's something to watch. How, let me ask you this. Yeah, go ahead. How would a healthy George Pickens factor into, you know, maybe adding a little bit of a fear factor to this George offense? Yeah, and I think he's, he's getting healthier and healthier, right? So I yeah, think, Absolutely. Yeah. I, no, I think he's certainly a playmaker. Um, you know, at the same time, you know, we, we saw Michigan go up against the best wide receiver trio in the country against Ohio State. Had a great yep. game plan to kind of keep everything in front. You know, as their offense has gotten so many big plays, the defense has done a great job of limiting big plays for, you know, opposing teams. And when you have one or two weapons, I'm not saying Georgia doesn't have playmakers, but when there's kind of one or two guys to, to focus on, Michigan's done a really good job of kind of limiting those guys, maybe letting them have, you know, take what they can get, but then shutting other things down. So I think if it's if it does play out, as we've talked about it, if it ends up being a grinded out type of game at the end, I like Michigan's chances. And, and for another reason to kind of, wrap up my my long explanation of my score <laughs> prediction is that I trust the Michigan quarterback room more than the Georgia quarterback room. Caden McNamara has done a really good job this season at everything they've asked him to do and in, in going into kind of how I feel like the game's going to go, as I've said a million times. Caden McNamara has done a great job at the end of games, not getting phased. I mean, he's had strip sack, loses the ball at the 18-yard line, I believe, against Penn State. They kick a field goal, unfazed by it comes down, leads a uh, touchdown drive where he, you know, throws a game-winning touchdown pass in Happy Valley, in a, you know, in a raucous environment. This kid just doesn't get phased. I like him. I like what J.J. McCarthy can bring in his package. And, again, it's no disrespect to Stetson Bennett or the Georgia offense. I just feel like uh, it's just not as, you know, good right now. And I think Michigan has a, a good defense, too, that people aren't talking about as much. But I'm sure your fans will love my, my team. <laughs> Interesting that we're talking about quarterback rooms rather than quarterbacks. Yeah. Kind of the day and age of college football that we're in. Well, Clayton, really appreciate you joining us today. Uh, tell our folks where they can come check out some of your work. Yeah. So the Wolverine.com head over there, both on the on three network, which is changing the game, man, in, uh, in college sports and a bunch of new sites about to jump over as well. I don't know if I can say too much, but uh, it is, uh, it is rapidly growing. And obviously you guys are doing a great job on your side of things, but, Man, we're enjoying the week down here. Glad we could collab. Yeah, appreciate it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, guys, welcome back into Dog Walk Talk presented to you by Dogs HQ. Once again, I'm Palmer Toms here with my usual partner in crime, Jake Roos. Uh, just had a great talk with Clayton over from the Wolverine uh, to preview Michigan ahead of Friday's game. Jake, you've given it the old Roos rundown uh, of, of guys that, that you recognize. Not as many given the fact that, that it's Michigan and, and they do more Midwestern recruiting but there are a couple of names that you recognize. Uh, what stands out to you about the Wolverines when you look at this roster? First off, it makes me really uncomfortable when you do the the, run, the, the lead into this. So uh, let's never <laughs> do that again. <laughs> that, that felt odd. Um, no, but I, I guess, you know, when you're looking at this roster and, and you're thinking about it, I mean, it's what I would consider a really high level 
Midwestern roster. And, and I don't mean to say that that's lesser talent at all. It's just differently built. I think that what you're talking about is a bigger offensive line, um, you know, deep, perhaps even deeper there. And uh, that's really saying something considering how deep Georgia is at offensive line. But, you know, Michigan's done a great job with that, and they always do. Um, you know, uh, skill players, I think, are – uh, guys that I didn't necessarily cover um, in, in a lot of cases, but uh, like you said, that's just kind of a product of really where they were located. And, you know, Georgia recruits nationally, and so does Michigan for that matter, but Georgia doesn't dip into the Midwest a lot. Uh, a lot of teams don't because it's just really tough ground to pull kids from. Uh, you know, It's Big Ten territory. Right. But, but Well, it's Big Ten, and then you got Big 12 sitting right out the back door, too. So mm-hmm. you've got, you know, it, you, your Iowa's and uh, Ohio State's and Michigan State's. And, you know, in a lot of instances, I think, too, you know, those are not necessarily states where people are, are moving in in quite the droves that we see in the Atlanta area. So, uh, you know, a lot of those kids grow up as fans of these teams. They want to play for them. That's the goal for them in a lot of cases. And so I think that they keep a lot of their talent home. And uh, they, they probably do a, a better job with that than the South, which is getting raided by everybody. But that's because it's so deep down South. Um, you know, so it, it's kind of a mixed bag. Uh, you know, I think that uh, certainly anybody can look at the Michigan roster and, and tell you that they're talented. Uh, you know, I think that their backs are, are fantastic. Um, Cade McNamara, I, I think, is a, a very talented quarterback as well. Defensively, I mean, Aiden Hutchinson, you know, uh, should have gotten probably more consideration for the Heisman than he did, uh, along with Will Anderson. But I, I think those guys have made it clear where they stand on defensive players winning this award. So, you know, I, I mean, the pieces are definitely there. And I'll tell you this, I think that it is a I think it's a tough matchup for Georgia because I think it's a team that plays a lot like Georgia and does the things Georgia wants to do. They want to get into the backfield and create havoc. They want to establish the run game early. Um, you know, they're they're not as pass heavy, although over the course of the year, they've gotten more pass heavy. So you get a little bit of it all. And I think that, like I said, it's kind of a direct reflection of Georgia. That should be beneficial in practice, uh, you know, because Georgia is going to be able to, I think, uh, replicate some of the same things. But at the same time, it's hard to really account for a guy like Aiden Hutchinson and it's hard to recreate somebody like that in practice uh, to any degree uh, of success, especially, you know, uh, when, when you're missing a guy like Adam Anderson, who was that guy for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you listened to our, uh, our preview that I did with Clayton, even though you haven't um, it's a lot of the same things. I think that, you know, like we said earlier, um, this is a game of two teams that have very similar styles. It's it's one that is if you're a Michigan fan and and you turn on Georgia, uh, you'll recognize the, the the brand of football that they want to play, and sure. same and vice versa. Um, so I think that you know it, th- that's what's going to make this should make this such a great game is that you're seeing two teams that are you know mirror images of each other. Georgia wants to stop the run. Michigan does a good job of running the ball. Georgia does a pretty good job of running the ball, but offensively kind of takes what's given to them, uh, which is similar to what Michigan does. More often than not, they are given the run in the past, uh, and, and that's, you know, if they had their choice, they would run it. And I think if Georgia had its choice, they would run the ball. And so, um, you know, I think that that is certainly an interesting dynamic. Um, you know, strong front sevens, strong offensive lines. You're looking at, you know, two groups there that, that want to – get after the quarterback, create havoc. 
but then also keep their guy on their feet on, on offense. And so, um, you know, Michigan allowing the fewest sacks in the country, Georgia was right up there, you know, was, I believe that Georgia was atop that category uh, for much of the season and, um, you know, comes into this game. Um, correction, Michigan has allowed the second fewest only to Army, who, of course, runs the triple option. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Georgia tied for third, allowing 11 sacks to Michigan's 10. So you're looking at two teams that, that you know, protect the quarterback well, get after the quarterback well, want to run the ball, want to play physical football. And I think that because of that, this game is going to be won and lost on the line of scrimmage. Yeah, sure. And I mean, ultimately, I think that's probably what Kirby Smart would love to hear uh, because I think that he considers his team to be a line of scrimmage team first and foremost. I mean, I think that he made he's made that clear pretty much since arrival and by the way that he's recruited, uh, you know, the way that he's built this team is sort of, if you want to consider this line of scrimmage, the inside he's built from the inside out. And so, you know, it's about stacking bodies and playing smash mouth. And I think that if, you know, if you could, if you asked him what he wanted to do, I think that's what he would tell you. I mean, I, I think that that's the style that Kirby likes primarily because I think that plays well into defense. It doesn't allow for maybe as many home run hits, uh, you know, in the passing game. Um, you know, Michigan's certainly capable of that. They've got guys who can get behind the secondary, no question about it. But, you know, their bread and butter is on the ground with, with Hassan Haskins and, and Blake Corum. And so I think that, um, you know, George is happy to play that game. Um, you know, it's really just going to come down to, who executes it better. And like you said, I guess who's able to kind of keep who clean um, because, you know, on the, on the opportunities that you do take to pass uh, you're going to have to have some time. You're going to need to be able to do that. And um, you know, I am sure we're going to get into some quarterback talk here in a minute anyway. So. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. 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 <laughs> got to, no, right? and, 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 and that's, that's what I was going to say was, you know, obviously you didn't get to make the trip to Miami. Um, we're missing you down here, man. Would have loved to see you. Uh, you know, tear up South Beach, um, like the Island Boys. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, watching from afar, what has stood out to you about what you've learned? You know, obviously earlier this week, we talked about what we wanted to learn from Georgia's situation down here. I think first and foremost, we wanted to learn about the health of this team. We've learned that George Pickens and JT Daniels make the arrival early in the week on Monday um, after the team traveled on Sunday. Uh, those two are, are expected to be ready to go, cleared from proto COVID protocol. Um, I, I think that, that, that aside from that, um, which, which I think is, is pretty set in stone, what is it that, you, that you've learned the most about this week? And I think it, if, if, if my hunch is correct, I think it goes pretty hand-in-hand hand with JT Daniels. Yeah, it does. And, I mean, I think that what you've learned this week is that George is going to ride the Stetson Bennett train, man. I mean, that's what they look. Either they're either they're bold faced lying, or they're that's what they're going to do. I mean, there's and they're and, only, and they're good at it. If, if that's the case, <laughs> there's only one because I'm ways. sold. I'm sold. Yeah, there's only one of two ways it can shake out. I mean, realistically, I mean, now do I think that this is a situation where um, you know Stetson? is the end-all be-all. You know, I, I do think that there is probably a chance in this one, given the nature of this game, right, and given the implications of this game and what happens if you don't win this game, that you can't just say, all right, you know, we'll go down with this ship. I, I think that there is an opportunity 
if the point arises where you could make that switch. But I don't anticipate that being the case unless he just gets in and stinks up the joint. I mean, or, or God forbid, barring an injury. So right now, I think that's Georgia's plan. And I feel like I get the sense that Georgia feels that if Stetson can do what Stetson's done most of the year, uh, you know, maybe away from that Alabama game. So the other 12 games, uh, or well, the other what, however many nine, started, nine that he nine. started. Yeah, the other nine he started. If he can, if he can play at a level like that, then they should be fine at quarterback. That that should be. Um, I would almost say that they could consider that a push. You know, they would think, all right, quarterback, quarterback. That's that's probably a push if we can get him to play at that level. So then, what does it go down to? Well, then it's like you said, it kind of goes to a line of scrimmage game. Uh, you know, you'll get him to make a couple of throws throughout the game, maybe have to extend a couple of plays with his legs, that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, I think that both Kirby and Todd Munkin couldn't have really been more emphatic about, you know, their declarations of who's the starting quarterback for this Georgia team. And, you know, I, I, I even to some degree, why? I mean, I, I think that Kirby Smart said it best on Wednesday and said, you know, look, we want to put our team in the best position to win. And we feel like right now Stetson does that. And I know that's not what people want to hear. And I know people keep thinking that, like, I, I, I think I get the sense that people think like I'm like, um, you know, stumping for Stetson when I when I say things like that. But I mean, this is on Kirby. This is his decision. That's this is they're rolling with this guy. OK, this is what they want to do. So. What I'm, well, I guess my point is, you got to accept reality, and the reality is Stetson Bennett's going to be your starter on Friday, uh, almost without a question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if there was any question about it coming into this week, I think Kirby answered that. Uh, first of all, I think Todd Munkin answered that on Tuesday, uh, but Kirby answered it Wednesday by coming out and saying Stetson is the starter. Um, you know, I, I, I think that. Quite frankly, I bet he's tired of hearing these questions. Um, and and so, you know, I, I, I don't think that that's going to stop them from coming, but I do think that Georgia is going to be rolling with Stetson on Friday. Um, you know, well, certainly. He, he hates the questions. I, I get it. And I understand, you know, he said today as much during the press conference, essentially saying, you know, you guys are going to ask this question and that's what's keeping this whole narrative alive. I got bad news for the guy. I don't think he's turned on the Twitter machine in a while and went over because we're not the ones asking these questions. And and shout out to uh, our, our buddy Anthony Dasher uh, for asking him kind of straight up what the fans wanted to know and to say. Well, and, yeah. and and one thing that I will give Kirby credit for is, you know, what he said in response to Dash's question was, it's it's not even the question; it's the comparison that comes from it because right. of the question. He yeah. hates that for both these guys because I, I I do believe him when he says that he is confident in all four of these quarterbacks, especially those two in Stetson and JT. I I, I mean, there's no well, reason to be. He, there's no reason not to be confident in those two because you've got JT who is a perfect seven and zero in his Georgia career and, and has you know led some very prolific offensive performances, and then you've got Stetson who you know guided Georgia to its first twelve and zero regular season ever, first undefeated regular season since nineteen eighty two. Um, obviously the SEC championship game didn't go the way that Georgia fans had hoped, but that's not all on Stetson either. So 
you know, I, I, I totally believe Kirby when he says that he is confident in both these guys. And I also believe him today when he said that he hates this question because of the comparisons that come from it. Yeah, no, I get it. I, I mean, I, I, I understand. I, I understand it from his perspective. It's there's so many there's unfortunately for him, there really are a lot of great stories around this team. I think you and I were talking about, you know, Jamari Sawyer and what a guy uh, he is. And, you know, when he interviews just, uh, you know, the, the, the thought out nature of his question responses and, you know, um, just the way that he approaches things. I mean, you've got stories like that. You've got, you know, Jordan Davis has kind of been done a lot, but certainly, I mean, this is the last ride for Jordan Davis and Devonte Wyatt and Trayvon Walker. And so, you know, you've got three major contributors, guys who've been big parts of this program, you know, ostensibly possibly playing their last game. There's a lot of things you could be talking about outside of this, but it's the thing that dominates because it's the most important position on the field. And it's what drives the conversation. I mean, it's people live and love to live and die by the quarterback, whether or not that's fair or not, that's just the reality of it. So um, I, you have to believe Kirby Kirby is confident in, in Stetson. And the reason being, if you think that he's less confident in Stetson than he is in JT, but he's still going to march JT out there, then you have a, an institutional problem. This is not a Stetson versus JT problem any longer. Then you've got a guy who is willingly choosing to make the worst call for his team. And I just don't wrap my head around the fact that Kirby smart would do that. Uh, I think a lot of people, it seems like on Twitter seem to suggest that I, my thing is too, with, with this whole quarterback thing. And this is kind of my last thing on it. There's so much vitriol directed at Stetson and I don't understand it because Stetson's only doing what Stetson's asked to do. Stetson's if what's he going to say? No, I'm not going to go out and play. I mean, he's the one being put into the position. If you want to be mad at somebody, be mad at Kirby Smart. Be mad at Todd Monkey. But don't hold it against Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett's just is just doing what Stetson Bennett can do. Uh, if you have that big of a problem with it, I don't see why you're not calling for bigger change. People don't seem to think that's the, the answer. But to me, like I said, if you think that this guy is out here playing the worst option for some sort of personal vendetta, which seem people seem to be latched onto, then you've got a much bigger problem than just what's going to happen in the Orange Bowl, in my opinion. Well, well, and keep in mind that there are you know financial incentives that come with a win sure. in this Orange Bowl too, and a national championship appearance, and and you know winning that game. Kirby Smart's not trying to lose games, guys. I mean, sure. he you know it, and he wants to win these games, and it's not only because he you know went to Georgia, grew up Georgia, blah 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 blah. His his pockets would like to win these games too. So you know, let let's not let's not you know try and come up with this narrative that he's you know making decisions that that you know undermine the rest of the program. Um, you know, I, I I think that we've we've talked quarterbacks all season. We've written about quarterbacks all season. We've written about quarterbacks all week. We've well, we've and regardless. Said, Regardless of the outcome, we're going to keep doing it because it, because either, of the position, because of the you know either the players, either, either they'll they'll lose and people will blame it on the quarterback, or they'll win and we'll be talking about it ahead of Alabama and people will say, "And can he get it done against Alabama?" I mean, that's it's yeah. going to be and and 
mind you, also, as I said on Twitter yesterday, this ain't going to stop when the offseason starts nope. either because uh, nope. he's got the opportunity to come back. And if he does that, I think people's heads are going to – yeah, I don't know. You're a little young, Palmer. I don't know if you ever saw scanners. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, there's pe- those people's heads just burst. And uh, if Stetson's marching out there next August, again, in this position, uh, boy, howdy, it's going to be something. But anyway, we got a long ways to go before all that. Yeah, no, you just dated yourself because I have no clue what you're talking (laughs) about, Jake. (laughs) Aside from quarterbacks, give me one thing that has stood out to you about this week real quick. Um, I guess I would probably say – you know, I, I think that there has been a bit of an admission from that group um, that the Alabama loss definitely left a bad taste in their mouth. And, you know, we hear so much about you got to have that short memory and you got to be able to move past these things. But I think it's really what people wanted to hear. And it's probably what you should have heard from those guys, because it was such a stark contrast to everything else that happened this season. It would be jarring uh, to you to go through that. And you would, I think you'd be surprised if you were able to like, you, you know, they typically say uh, we take one day to celebrate or one day to mourn, and then we're on to the next thing. We had such a big gap between this one. I think that it d- did allow Georgia to do some soul searching. And I think to hear those players say that is kind of refreshing, to be honest with you. Um, you know, just that, that they uh, opened up and admitted it and said, yeah, you know, look, that's something that bothered us. And, and we came back to the drawing board after it. And um you know, even I think it was Chris Smith saying that, you know, it was possibly a, a, a good thing or maybe that was Kiaris, one of the two. Um, it's, it's been said several times. I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, just Kirby has said that basically just, uh, you know, a chance to push the reset button. And, and Nicobe Dean said, you know, we were able to come out of that game and almost return to a fall camp like mentality uh, in the way that we were approaching this game. And so I think that that's encouraging to hear um, because you don't want Georgia you don't want Georgia to forget that game. Uh, that should be the fuel that fires you uh, moving forward and and certainly moving into the Orange Bowl on Friday. Yeah. Well, as we move into that, we'll have bold predictions later in the week. Um, last thoughts here. Do you want do you want to give a prediction now, or do you want to save it for uh, for Friday morning? I, it's not really going to matter. I'm probably going to write the same thing. I'll tell you now, so I'll go ahead and say it. I, I really don't know what's going to happen, to be honest with you. I, just because I just don't, I don't know what Georgia team's going to show up. If Georgia, who played Kentucky, shows up, then yeah, you probably got a pretty decent chance. I mean, I think that that was a pretty complete team performance. And that's not to say that Michigan's on the same talent level as Kentucky, but I think if Georgia's able to play a clean game in the way that they did in that instance, then they've got a really good chance. Um, But if you play like you did against Alabama, then you're going to lose. I mean, I think that's just putting it as as clearly as I can. Um, So I I really don't know what's going to happen, Palmer. I don't have a good feel on this one. It's not like I've got a good sense. I don't know where Georgia goes after that Alabama game and where Michigan compares to the other talent that they've played. I mean, I think it's superior to everything probably they've seen outside of Alabama, but how much more, I I don't know the answer to that. And and it's like I told you, uh, you know, off air, Michigan's not a team I'm super familiar with. I don't watch a lot of Big Ten football. Um, I'm my Saturdays are pretty well devoted from sunup to sundown <laughs> to Georgia, the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, it, it's a I, you know I think a lot of people think it's a thing that goes three and a half hours during the game window, but for us it's a you know eight twelve hour thing, and so um, you don't get a chance to take in a lot of those other games. You don't get a chance to see a lot of other teams. 
And, uh, and if I, you do, you're probably watching something SEC that has direct ties to Georgia. Right, exactly. Yeah, you're kind of scouting for what's ahead and, and being able to look at that. And so you don't make it out of conference much. Maybe a little Pac-12 after dark here and there, but um, which I do love, by the way. Um, but like I said, I just don't I, I don't really have a good feel on this one. I, I, I can't really offer up much of a prediction uh, and, and much confidence. Um, like I said, I, I think it just boils – I think – Ultimately, I think this game boils down a lot more to what Georgia does uh, than what Michigan does, because I think Georgia has shown at times this season that they were elite and that they were capable of of doing really special things, especially on the defensive side of the ball. If that defense plays like they did against Clemson, for example, you know, seven and sacks on the day. I mean, they're going to be hard for anybody to beat, but um, I, I don't know if they can do that again. We'll see. And, um, you know, no knock on Michigan. I, I think the Wolverines are going to give the Bulldogs all they can handle. Won't surprise me for this one to be a tight game. And like I said, could see this one going either way. Yeah, I will put my prediction out here because I did have to uh, give it a little bit of thought earlier this in the week when, uh, when, when Clayton and I talked about it there. I've got it being 24-17 Georgia. Um, he had it being 24-17 Michigan, which I think says a lot about where this game is at and, and you know, how close this is going to be. I think because these two teams, uh, you know, play very similar styles of football, I think it's going to be close. Um, you know, unless one of these teams jumps out of the gate super early and, and you know, maybe does something a little bit different that surprises the opponent, Um you know, and, and gets ahead and forces the other team to play from behind, I think you're going to be looking at a close game, you know, headed into, uh, you know, second half, fourth quarter. Um, you know, I, I the reason I give Georgia the edge is, like you said, this team has played elite football throughout the season. They, they, they didn't play elite football against Alabama. That was, yeah. that was obvious. Um, but I have a really hard time seeing the, this team have two straight performances like that. Um, you know, I, I feel like they, they're bound to play better against, um, you know, against anybody. I mean, I think if, even if they were playing Alabama again, they're bound to play better than they did the first time. Um, but I, I, I just feel like the similar, the aspect of the similar styles, and that motivation coming off of that loss, um, you know, I just have a hard time seeing this team lose twice in a row. After winning 12 in a row, I mean, hell, you date it back to the year before, um, it was 16 in a row. They had the nation's longest winning streak entering, uh, entering conference championship weekend. Well, uh I, I, I just have a hard time seeing them lose twice in a row. No, and I, I think I no, I think I said this. Georgia has to realize every player on that roster has to realize every coach on that roster. I mean, everybody in that building has to understand that as great as that regular season was, if you lose this game and you lose these two back to back, then the season was a total waste. Everything was for naught. Nothing, yeah. nothing came of it. It was you. Mi- it was, you missed a big window. Exactly. Yeah. And it's with, like with, with about- Kirby's Kirby's mm-hmm. first number one signing class from that 2018 group, yep. uh, you know, the, the, the first, I mean, th- this is the first group that has been all elite recruited Kirby smart guys. You can maybe make the case that 2020 was as well, but with how weird that season was, you know, it was, it was such a different, you know, turn of events and you had 
quarterback change. This one, it felt a little bit different where you had the pieces, everything kind of culminated during that decision season where everybody came back. Yeah, if Georgia loses this one and, and misses this window, and we're talking here on, on you know, Saturday or Sunday about, uh, you know, the end of season review, wrapping things up, it's going to feel disappointing for Georgia fans. Okay. A, because of the loss and the season's over, but B, because of what you missed out on uh, you know, in, in terms of the opportunity to make history. And these players recognize that too. Yep. No, no doubt. No doubt. We talked about that the other day. I mean, it's like you said, the window of opportunity, you know, Michigan, uh, like I said, I, look, Michigan's not going to roll over and die, but it's a big accomplishment for the program that they made it to the playoff. They haven't done that yet. Georgia's made, been here before. Now it's time for them to finish the drill. And quite frankly, if they can't, then it's a bit of a disappointment. There's only four teams who make it here, so it's not the worst thing ever, um, certainly. Um, but would it feel like a big letdown? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jake, since it was weird for me to open it, I'll let you close us out. All right, folks. Hey, yeah, get over to Dogs HQ. Check us out. We've got you loaded up on all things Orange Bowl. Uh, a full week of coverage behind us already and uh, still got the game to come. So um, plenty more coming from Miami and uh, up here in the, the Blue Ridge uh, Mountains, I guess, as it were, uh, <laughs> um, covering it as much as I can from up here also. But uh, we've got you covered wall to wall on all things Dogs. So get over to Dogs HQ. Check us out. Make sure to be following along. For Palmer Toms and myself, Jake Roos, this has been Dog Walk Talk, presented to you by Dogs HQ. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.